Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Thank you, Jill. If you'd like to keep that passage open in front of you, and we'll look at that together, and as we do that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father God, we thank you for this time to gather around your word, and we pray that as we do, that your spirit would be at work in our midst, uh, that we would uh, see uh, the heart that you have for the lost, and that you would stir our hearts by your spirit to respond to that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you can think of a time where you lost something. Uh, if you're anything like me, you might be familiar with that experience of, of rushing out the door only to, to realize that you can't find your keys or your phone, and then there's that ensuing uh, hunt around the house uh, for five minutes while you frantically search for whatever it is you've lost. Um, uh, but have you ever lost something that is, is really, really precious to you? Something the moment that you realized it was lost, it filled you with a sense of fear and panic, desperation, maybe. Any parents who have looked around expecting to see their small child by their side only to discover that they're not there will be able to relate to that gut-wrenching experience as you hunt around to see where your child has gone and you desperately search for them. The more precious that, that something is to us, the more we feel its loss, and the more urgently we search for it. The passage that we're looking at today, it focuses on two stories Jesus told about the lengths that people go to to find something that is precious to them. They're stories that he, he told to a crowd who were made up of two groups of people. And we read about the first group in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. So the first group that we learn about in this passage uh, were made up of the, the untouchables of the day, the people who had been cancelled by their culture for the ways that they had transgressed the moral law of the day. 
in that culture, it was the sexually promiscuous, the adulterers, the prostitutes, the, the thieves, the corrupt businessmen. These people, they knew what it was to live with the public shame and disgrace of being cast out of their community. Every day, their status as sinners haunted them, and it reminded them, and it reminded those around them that there was no way back, no hope of restoration to their society. They were lost. And yet notice, they were drawing near to Jesus. There's something profound in that, that these outcasts felt that this rabbi, this holy man, he could be approached, that they could draw near to him. Certainly, that wasn't their normal experience around the religious leaders of the day, some of whom were looking on disapprovingly at Jesus that day. We read verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, when we hear that term Pharisee, it's, it's, it's loaded with all sorts of negative connotations. But in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, they were the influencers. They were the guys who would have had blue ticks next to their name on Twitter. The elites. They were the guys that others looked to to make sure that they were on the right side of history. They were known for their meticulous adherence to the moral law. If you wanted to know what it looked like to live a righteous life, then you looked to the Pharisees. And if anyone was guilty of unrighteousness, well, the Pharisees were on hand to make sure that everybody knew it. They were the ones who did the cancelling and made sure that sinners stayed cancelled. For the Pharisees, it wasn't enough to be virtuous. They had to signal their virtue. They wanted to make sure that, that people knew what they were against. Uh, virtue signaling is not just a 21st century concept. Uh, if these guys were around today, they would have been right on social media uh, to make sure that everybody knew how appalled they were that Jesus was willing to make himself available to those that they had cancelled. To welcome sinners and not turn them away, that meant that in their eyes, Jesus was worthy of the same condemnation. That's how cancel culture works, isn't it? The minute someone is cancelled, the pylon begins. Anyone who shows compassion is immediately cancelled as well. And so at the risk of being infected with the same contagion, people just keep their heads down. They, they, they step back. They have nothing to do with the outcast lest they be cast out as well. If you want to know who those people are in our society, those who, who would have been like the sinners that day, then just think about who it would be that would be costly to associate with. Who is it that if you were to show compassion to, 
you would risk your own reputation for not abiding by the moral norms of the moment. Those are the kinds of people who felt that they could draw near to Jesus that day. They drew near because they knew that they wouldn't be turned away. Their sin and their shame, it didn't cause Jesus to recoil from them. It didn't cause him to have nothing to do with them. On the contrary, he even ate with them. Eating with someone in that culture was an unmistakable sign of welcome, of acceptance. For the Pharisees, Jesus' willingness to eat with sinners was worthy of their condemnation. There was no room for nuance, no room for understanding, no desire to see that Jesus could make himself available, he could make himself approachable while still recognizing the, the need for these sinners to repent. Something uh, which he, he clearly lays out in these parables. Now, as far as the Pharisees were concerned, welcome, compassion, was equal to affirmation of someone's sin. So with these two groups of people gathered around him, the, the cancelled of society on the one hand, and the influencers of the day on the other, we read verse 3, so he told them this parable. Now we saw last week that a parable was a story that Jesus told to teach his listeners something about God. And so uh, as these sinners, these social lepers drew near, uh, and as those who condemned them looked on, Jesus told two parables about how incredibly precious the lost are to God. He begins verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? The second parable begins in a similar fashion. Verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? So, so Jesus begins by giving examples of things that, that, that people lose and the lengths that they go to to find them. They're everyday examples that his listeners could have related to. They would have nodded along in agreement with these stories. They'd be right where that man and that, that, that woman were, searching high and low to find these things that were precious to them. They knew how precious a lost sheep would be to a shepherd and how precious that lost coin would have been to that woman. They understood uh, why finding those things would lead to the kind of joy and celebrations that we read about, uh, for example, in verse 5, when the shepherd finds his lost sheep, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And it's the same kind of party that we read about in verse 9, when the woman finds her lost coin. Everybody that she knows is invited round to celebrate that what was once lost has now been found. And then Jesus gets to the point of the stories in verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 
The crowd could relate to the celebrations that Jesus described. But his point is that those celebrations pale into insignificance compared to the party there is in heaven when a sinner repents. Those cancelled by their society, those seen as beyond hope, those lost people who gathered around Jesus that day, they were told the incredible news that the story of their lives wasn't over. That their shame and disgrace didn't need to be the final word. That they could repent, that they could turn from their sin, and they could know forgiveness. The lost could know what it is to be found. But not only that, they were told by Jesus that God wasn't about to grudgingly tolerate them. Uh, casting up their, their sin to them at every possible moment. He wasn't about to usher them in the back door to avoid any public criticism. No, he, he was going to throw a party in heaven for them. Verse 10, even the angels would get involved. This was no underground party, no muted affair. Heaven would rejoice for each one who turned from their sin and turned to him. Just imagine being one of those outcasts and hearing that. They'd been shunned, not just by the religious elite, but by family and, and friends. All the invites to, to parties would have been a thing of the past. And many of them would have gathered that day all too aware of their own sinfulness, all too aware of their guilt and shame, very conscious of the things that they had done that had led them to the predicament that they found themselves in. And yet here was Jesus saying that for those who repented, their name would be shouted from the rooftops by the whole host of heaven. That is the joy of God in finding his lost children and carrying them home. No wonder they drew near to Jesus that day to hear a message of welcome, a message of acceptance, a message of hope for the lost. No matter how lost they had been. And that same message is the message that we have to share today. A message that says that your sin doesn't need to be what defines you. That there is hope. There is forgiveness. That you are so, so precious to the God of the universe. That in Jesus Christ, he has come all the way from heaven to earth to find you. He has paid the ultimate price of his own life so that your sin could be paid for. He has endured the worst public humiliation so that there is no 
public shame or disgrace that you could face that would ever separate you from his tender care. Jesus sought you and he saved you so that you could know that whatever the world says about you, God looks on you in Jesus Christ and says, you belong to me. God loves you. In Christ, he passionately, relentlessly sought you out. And when he found you, heaven threw a party just for you. That's the reality for the Christian. What a wonderful God we have. What an incredible message we have to share with our world. Where so many are living with fear or hurt of being shamed, being cast out, being cancelled. It's a glorious message, but it's an incredibly challenging one too. It should cause us to ask ourselves, do I share God's heart for the lost, his love for the outcast? Am I passionately, relentlessly committed to their salvation? Am I someone that the shunned and the shamed feel like they can draw near to? Do I long to tell them about the one who can cancel their shame and disgrace? Or am I too concerned about my reputation, about my comfort, to show compassion to the lost when it might be costly? In the chapter just before this one, in chapter 14, Jesus says to the crowd who are following him, in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He warns them that there's a cost to following him, that they need to be willing to give their life for his sake. Now, for, uh, for us, that, that cost, it may be our reputation. It might be our comfort. It might be far greater than that in the years to come. And we need to ask ourselves, is that a cost that we are willing to pay? Is it a cost that we are ready to count? Or if we're honest with ourselves, are we a bit like the Pharisees looking on, condemning Jesus that day? Do we take pride in our own moral performance? Are we quick to, to put the boot in and think the worst of people? Are we all too ready to be part of the, the pylon when society declares someone cancelled? Keen to signal our virtue so that, that everybody knows what we're against. That we're on the right side of history. Do we sneer at those who show compassion and understanding? The twist in the tale is uh, in verse 7 in this parable where Jesus mentions the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, it's clear from what Jesus taught elsewhere that, that he was speaking with irony here. There's no such thing as a righteous person who needs no repentance. His words were directed at the Pharisees who, who thought that they had earned a right standing with God through their own moral performance who failed to recognize their own need of grace, their own lost condition, their own need to repent. And there are words for anybody who would think the same. 
who would ultimately hope in their own righteousness instead of accepting the righteousness of Christ. Trusting in our own good deeds is just another way of being lost. These are challenging words that come at the end of an incredible message of God's heart for the lost. Just imagine what it would look like if we took these words to heart. If we shared God's heart for the lost. How would it shape our our online interaction and approach to those that our society has nothing to do with? And imagine what it would look like if we began to commit ourselves to pray for non-Christian friends and family and colleagues and then began to take opportunities to to take a deep breath and endure an awkward moment to begin to talk to them about Jesus. And for our church family, wouldn't it be incredible if Grace Church Leith became known as a place where anyone could walk through the door and know that they would receive a welcome that reflects the love and compassion of our Savior. How many thousands of people walk past our door every day as they go about their business up and down Leith Walk? Wouldn't it be incredible if they knew that they could turn off Leith Walk and meet a community of God's people who would love them, and befriend them, and invite them to come and draw near to hear what Jesus has to say. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we thank you for that beautiful picture in this passage of your love for lost people. Lord, how precious they are to you. Lord, would that be something that, that we are reminded of as maybe we struggle to, to see your love for us? Forgive us, Lord, for the times where we're trying to earn your acceptance instead of seeing you for who you are, a God who relentlessly and, and passionately searches out your lost children. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that is available to anyone who repents and turns to Jesus, that there is a party in heaven for anyone who does that. And we thank you, Lord God, for the the good news stories that we hear in our own church of people doing that. And Lord, we pray for this city and this community that you've placed us in, where so, so many people are facing a lost eternity. Lord God, would you give us a deep heart for those people that we would desire to love them, show compassion to them, show a welcome to them, that many might meet Jesus and hear of the hope that there is for lost people. We pray these things in his precious name. And as we come to the table this morning to take bread and wine, would you remind us by your Spirit of your love and compassion and the way that you have sought us out and saved us in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.